So I can remember years ago, when I was in my early 20s, working as a nuclear engineer, I wasn't working very long before there was an election, and I wasn't too familiar with the area, but I went to where I was supposed to cast my vote before I had to go to work, and it took so long that I was very concerned that I would be late to work. So as I was leaving, I was probably driving a little faster than I should have, uh, and I was in an unfamiliar part of the city, so uh, I turn a corner, and then I just see all the cars in front of me are stopped. So I slam on my brakes, and thanks be to God, I was able to stop before crashing into someone. However, I think the person behind me was also late for work, because they were also driving too fast. And when they saw me slam on my brakes, they swerved to the side to avoid hitting me, and I'm grateful for that. And unfortunately, they went over a curve and popped a tire and kind of pulled into one of the side streets. And as I was sitting there in my car, stopped because the vehicles in front of me are stopped, I was in a position where I needed to make a choice. Do I pull over and see if this person who popped their tire needs some help? I mean, after all, they just spared me from having my vehicle damaged. Wouldn't that be a good idea? Something that would be helpful? But I also had the thought, like, I'm on my way to work. I'm probably going to be late. I don't want to be later than I need to be. Maybe I can just keep driving. And so as I was struggling, which of these options should I choose? How should I handle this situation? Going back and forth in my own mind, suddenly the vehicles in front of me started moving. And I didn't have any more time to try to figure out what I should do. And sadly, I decided that I was just going to keep driving and not help the person who avoided crashing into my vehicle. But I could have. I had the opportunity. It would have been inconvenient for me to do so. I definitely would have been late for work. But it would have been the loving, merciful thing to do. And I've regretted making that decision of just keep driving ever since. So that would be a sin of omission. I could have done something good. I could have done something loving. But I failed to do it. I chose not to do it. I think all too often we focus on the sins that we do, the things we commit that we shouldn't have, and we often forget about those sins of omission where we could have done something good but chose not to. And that's what we see in our gospel passage today. I was a lot like that priest and that Levite. They see this man who was a victim of robbers that he's struggling to, to survive, that he's left half dead on the road, and they decide to just keep walking. They don't want to be inconvenienced. They don't want to have to, to spend the time and effort getting involved in this situation. For them, because they were in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, I mean, they would have to follow the ritual laws. And so if they were to help this man and they got themselves bloody, they would be ritually unclean which means they wouldn't be allowed to participate in worship with the rest of the community, that they would have to pretty much lose an entire day because they would have to go through a ritual bath late in the evening in order to be ritually clean again to be able to participate. So if they were to help this man, they would lose an entire day. And clearly they didn't want to do that. So they just kept on going, didn't want to be inconvenienced. And yet this Samaritan traveler comes and he sees the man who was a victim, 
And he pours oil and wine on the wounds in order to disinfect them. He bandages this man and brings him to an inn. But what really caught my attention when I was praying with this, preparing for the homily, was the line where it says, the next day he took out two silver coins. The next day. This Samaritan is not bound by the ritual laws of the Jewish people. He could have gone on his way after he brought the guy to the inn, but instead he cared for him for the rest of that day, and then the next day he continued on his journey. He didn't have to, but he chose to give up an entire day to help this person whom he didn't even know out of love for him. Another thing that caught my attention was uh, yesterday during Mass, I was prayerfully listening, and what struck me was when the scholar said, and who is my neighbor? And who is my neighbor? He was trying to figure out who it is that he is to love, who it is that he's to love as his own self. And Jesus tells this parable. Now, in the time of Jesus, the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along. And so when Jesus is telling this parable, the people who are listening are expecting that Jesus is going to say, not the priest, not the Levite, but the average Jew, that person would be the hero, right? Instead, Jesus says the Samaritan, which would catch everybody by surprise. Samaritans and Jews don't get along. Why would the Samaritan be the hero? And yet Jesus says the Samaritan traveler came and moved with compassion, took care of him. So that means even the people that we don't get along with are our neighbors. Really, Jesus is trying to help us expand our vision and our understanding that everyone should be our neighbors. We should be loving everyone and not just those close to us. The Jewish people had a tendency to care for themselves, their friends, their families, those who are fellow Jews, but not necessarily people from foreign nations. And so Jesus is saying everyone should be loved, everyone should be cared for when he makes the Samaritan in the parable the hero, the one who comes and saves the man who was left half dead. And I can only imagine what it was like for the scholar that he was probably reluctant when he answered, the one who treated him with mercy. Because then he would have to admit that the Samaritan was the hero, the Samaritan was the one who was the neighbor in this situation. But if we think about this, how is it that we are able to love everyone? How is it that we can do that? Because naturally, we're only going to want to care for and love those that we're close to, the people we're familiar with. And yet Jesus is challenging us to do more, to love everyone. And love in its highest form is willing the good of the other, to want what is truly good for everyone, even the people we don't like, even our enemies. Everyone is to be loved. And where do we get that strength? How are we able to do that? We get that strength from God. Notice when Jesus asks, when the scholar asks Jesus, rather, what it is he has to do to go to heaven, Jesus turns it back upon him and asks him, well, what does the law say? And he answers, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Notice, love your God love the Lord your God was first. Our relationship with God has to be first. We have to receive the love of God, be filled with the divine love of God, 
be strong in our relationship with the Lord so that that love from God spills out into our love for our neighbor. It's through our relationship with God that we have the strength to love everyone. Because on our own, we're not able to do that. And so it's important for us to allow ourselves to be filled with the love of God. And there are many ways for us to recognize and receive the love of God. One of the common ones that I recommend to people is to recall the many blessings that we have in our lives. All good things come from God and are signs of his love for us. So if we spend a little bit of time every day recalling how blessed we are, how much God has given us good things, it helps us to recognize his love, which strengthens us then to be able to love one another. This love that God has for us is made evident through what he has done for us as well, through his passion, death, and resurrection. In our second reading, we're reminded that Jesus truly is God, but that he also took on human flesh and gave up his life on the cross so that this perfect gift of love can make up for all of the sins of all of humanity for all time. So Jesus' gift of love gives us this example But this gift of love that he makes of himself is also made available to us every time we come together for the celebration of the Mass. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is made present to us at the altar through sacramental signs that we can participate and receive the grace he won for us on the cross so that we can be filled with the divine love of God, so that we can love God in return for the love that he has for us. When we come to Mass, we sometimes might think that it's to receive Holy Communion, but that's not the primary purpose of Mass. The Church tells us that we need to receive Communion once a year. That's it, just once a year. And yet the Church also tells us that we are to come to Mass every Sunday and every Holy Day of Obligation. Well, if communion isn't the reason why we're here, what are we supposed to do here? Why are we supposed to be here? We're supposed to exercise our baptismal priesthood. And every priest has to offer sacrifice. In fact, during the celebration of the Eucharist, the priest says, my sacrifice and yours, meaning the whole congregation has a sacrifice to offer as well. So when we come to Mass and we're participating in Mass, it isn't like the singing that we do or the listening to sacred scripture that's most important. What's most important is our active participation in the sacrifice taking place at the altar, because the sacrifice at the altar is what makes Mass Mass. The consecration, Jesus truly becoming present, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist. Not simply a sign or symbol. We're not just representing the Last Supper. We're mysteriously and sacramentally entering into the Last Supper. And Jesus gives himself fully and completely to us in the Eucharist, not a sign or a symbol. But in our baptismal priesthood, what we are to do is to offer, along with the Eucharist, our very selves, all our joys, all our sorrows, our hearts, our minds, Jesus living within us from the moment of our baptism, uniting that with Christ in the Eucharist, being offered to the Heavenly Father. That is the way that we are most actively participating in the Mass. That is the exercise of the baptismal priesthood. 
That is why we come together to make this offering. And in this offering of love, giving of ourselves and Christ within us to the Heavenly Father, that is how we love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your strength, with all your mind. Making this offering, uniting ourselves and Christ within us to the offering of Christ in the Eucharist to the Heavenly Father. And so, every time we come to Mass, we have this opportunity to live out this commandment of love. And then through that relationship with God, being filled with the divine love of God, we can then go forth and love our neighbor as ourselves. So it is through that relationship with God that we have the strength to love one another in the way that he calls us to. So let us take a moment now to prepare ourselves to love the Lord our God, with all our heart, with all our being, with all our strength, with all our mind, as we unite our very selves and Christ within us to the sacrifice made present to us in the, at the altar in the most holy Eucharist.